Happy Thursday, everyone. Kevin Cruz here with a Throwback Thursday episode, all the way back to 006 with Jason Freed. Now, Jason is a big deal in the software world. He's been running Basecamp, uh, it used to be called 37 Signals and the 37 Signals blog for a long time. He's a really big proponent of reasonable working hours, uh, remote working setup, no offices, well, you don't have to have an office, and how to build a software company without a massive venture capital investment with all those crazy growth targets. So he's, um, you know, they're headquartered out of Chicago. Like they're, he's very well respected in the startup software community, but he's not of that Silicon Valley startup community. And one of the big takeaways I had from this conversation with him was when I asked him about like, well, what if you're in a big traditional company and you want to convince the boss to let you or someone else work remotely? You know, he really didn't support that idea. He's like, no, this works when everybody can work remotely, when the systems and the culture and the mindset is that everybody works remotely. If you just have these strays who work from home, they're going to be treated like second class citizens or they're going to be forgotten about when it's time to you know, do those brainstorming sessions in the conference room and stuff. So that was a really a big aha for me. So there's that and so many more value bombs. Enjoy this classic episode. Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. What are the secrets to making remote work work? Hello, everyone. Kevin Cruz here, helping you to achieve your full potential five days a week and in just a minute, we're going to talk about how to ditch the office for the benefit of both companies and their team members alike. But first, don't forget to visit leadx.org. You'll find hundreds of articles from dozens of the best business and career writers out there. And while you're there, sign up for our quick read newsletter packed with actionable tips you can try out right away. Leadx.org. Our guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Basecamp, a Chicago-based software company formerly known as 37 Signals. His blog, Signal vs. Noise, is considered must-reading by the tech industry elite. He's the co-author of Getting Real, Rework, and his newest book is Remote, Office Not Required. Our guest is Jason Freed. Jason, welcome. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Of course. So we're going to talk about remote in just a minute. But I like to start with a more universal question, which is, can you share with our listeners a time when you failed, you know, maybe early in your career? And what did you learn from it? Sure. Um, you know, for me, I look at failure a little bit differently than perhaps many, because um, I don't really consider it that often. I don't I don't like to dwell on the past. I don't like to really kind of even label things as failures to me. It's all a continuum of experiences. And sometimes you get a little bit further than you than you or you don't you don't get as far as you wished, or sometimes you get further than you thought, whatever. But the times that I would consider like we're really going to use the word failure um, is any time where my ego got the best of me. So um, there there were times early on when um, really early on when I wanted to be a big company. Um, I, I just had this 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 thing like I'm not going to be taken seriously unless we're a big company. And this is when I was just working on my own. And so I just had this, this, my ego was basically not letting me be happy because I was just myself. And I kept trying to 
puff up my chest and act bigger than I was. And I would use the word we instead of I, even though it was just me. And, you know, that kind of stuff. And to me, looking back on it now, I would consider that a failure of sort of, of motivation and, and sort of vision. And, and, um, I realize that, that, you know, when your ego gets the best of you, you just kind of make bad decisions. So I've really tried to be pretty egoless. It's not that I don't believe we're good and believe in what we're doing, but whenever I notice myself wanting to do something because of ego, I, I pull back and go that that's not going to end up uh, in a good place. That's great stuff, Jason. And listeners, I love the value bomb that was just dropped. First of all, there's no there's no such thing as failure. You win or learn. But what I really appreciate, Jason, is you went kind of deep on on the stuff about, you know, the ego. And I learned that lesson late myself. Um, early on, even though my company was having what other people would consider to be great success, Every year when that Inc. 500 list would come out, that magazine would come out, you know, there'd be dozens and dozens of, of people, of companies higher on the list than me, and it would make me feel bad. Every year I would just feel like what a loser I am that I'm not higher on this list rather than celebrating that I made the list. So, you know, I finally had to realize, wait a minute, like who am I comparing myself to and why? And it just turns out there was a lot of ego involved that I had to get over as well. That's such a great point. And, you know, part of it is, is that when you're involved in the sort of the, I don't know how to call it or what does it what to call, it, but when you're, when you're comparing yourself to others and you're trying to measure your success against someone else, like you're naturally going to be disappointed in some ways, but that's an ego thing too. Like, because you're just trying to be better than someone else instead of just saying like, what's the best I can do. And so it takes a long time and I still run into it myself, but I remember earlier in my career, I was really obsessed with that sort of measuring up and how do I measure up and why am I not on this list and why did I not win that award and that kind of stuff. And looking back on it, I wish I had that, those feelings back because they caused anxiety and, and they, they made me feel like I wasn't, you know, able, things like that. And, and this is ridiculous stuff. But, you know, when you're younger, especially, you just don't really think that way. So, yeah, I think some of this wisdom, unfortunately, just comes with age. Yep, agreed. So Jason, your most recent book is Remote, Office Not Required. And let's start with the big picture. Why should we maybe ditch the traditional office? You know, what are the benefits to the company and what are the benefits to the individual workers? Great question. And, and I'll take it from both sides, right? So starting with the employees, not everybody works the same way. And so the idea that everyone has to be in an office space um, between certain hours uh, that that appeals to some people, but to many people it, it doesn't. And um, some people prefer silence. Some people prefer a lot of noise. Some people prefer a lot of chaos. Some people prefer a lot of calm. It sort of depends. And when you kind of shove everybody into a space, sort of majority rules in that sense, and you have a lot of people who aren't comfortable working in that environment, but they're forced to. And I just don't really believe in forcing anyone to do anything that they're uncomfortable with. Why not let them work where they're most comfortable, where they can do their best work? And that's one side. And the other side of that is is also that, People want to, they don't want their lives to be tied to a physical location necessarily. So for example, let's say you're married and your wife, um, moves. She, she gets another job opportunity somewhere else and she has to take it because her career encourages her to, to do this and this is the next step in her career. And you have to move. Well, in many cases, normally you would have to lose your job. You'd have to tell your, your, your job that, Hey, I'm moving. And they would say, well, thank you. Goodbye. Um, but I don't, I don't feel like that's fair either. So I love that people can move around and be in different places no matter, you know, where they want to be and how they want to work, and they can still do great work. So I feel like it's great for mobility and flexibility in people's lives 
on the employee side, on the employer side, on the business owner side, what's great about hiring remote people is that you have the pick of the world. You can hire the best people in the world. And by the way, I mean, everyone always says they want to hire the best people in the world and they have the best people in the world. And the truth is, is there's lots of great people all over the place. So we all might have great, great people. It's not like there's a small handful of great people. And that's kind of my point, which is that the chance that the best people in the world are within a 20 mile radius of your office, it's just like, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. So one of our best designers lives outside of Oklahoma City. You know, one of our best programmers has lived in four or five different cities uh, around the U.S. We have people overseas. It's, it's like, I just want to hire great people. They can work wherever they want. It gives me the flexibility to find them and not to be sort of stuck in a zip code or an area code. And so I think it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, Jason, it's funny you use that example about, you know, if your spouse gets a job opportunity and has to move away, then you're sort of forced to quit because that just came up a few days ago. Um, I was out visiting a, a company in the Midwest. They're ranked as one of the best places to work in America. And they have this beautiful building, you know, all these perks for their employees, 1600 employees. And they said that, you know, generally when people quit, it's because their spouse gets a job far away. And when I brought up the possibility of remote work, you know, they shared their fears, you know, like, how do we know these people are, are really working? And in your book, you know, you have a funny phrase. If I can't see them, how do I know they're working? Um, but I think that really is what it comes down to. So many managers feel like, OK, I can look out my door and see you there. And you kind of came in around nine and you're kind of leaving around five. So I'm assuming you're working. But if I don't see you, how the heck do I know what you're doing? So how would you argue that? Yeah, and I get that. I understand that. That just comes from, you know, doing something one way for a long period of time. And you just kind of assume there's no other way. Um, you know, the truth is, is just because somebody's at their desk in front of a computer typing away or whatever they're doing, it doesn't mean they're working. They're just at their desk typing away. Like, just because you can see someone physically doing something that's not a tell. Like, if, if, if you are, um, if you're working in a factory, and you can see someone hammering something or assembling something from far away. Okay, you know they're doing that. But a lot of information work, you know, being on Facebook, being on Twitter, being on Snapchat, being on Instagram looks the exact same as, as, as like doing your other work, right? So you can't really tell from far away if someone's doing their actual work. The only way to tell someone's doing their work is to look at the work itself. And in our industry, in most industries these days, information businesses and, and services companies, um, the work is visible from anywhere. It's, it's words, it's graphic design, it's programming, it's customer service. It's things that you can evaluate from far away. Um, and so in like it, unless you're assembling something physically, um, and you have to be there to actually look at the thing itself because it's physical in itself. Um, people can do work anywhere and you can evaluate the same way. So, um, when I look, you know, how do I know a programmer who, who lives in uh, outside of Scottsdale is doing his work? We look at the work and it's not that he's sitting at a desk. That doesn't mean anything. The only thing that means something is what someone actually is producing. And you can see that from anywhere. So that's what I would say. And I, I understand that that's a different, difficult thing for some people to understand because they're not used to it. And they feel like if they can't see someone, then they don't trust them, that they're, they're kind of wasting time in the whole thing. But you can waste time in the presence of others, too. So you got to look at the work at the end of the day. Again, makes tremendous sense. And as a follow up, you know, what about um, it's not just, OK, are they working? But how do we make sure that the remote team members 
feel valued? You know, how can we make sure that the remote workers are just as engaged as those who are working in-house? Yeah. Um, first thing there is that um, <clears throat> I found and I've heard from other businesses as well that um, you need to have a pretty uh, if you let me put it this way, if you're going to have remote employees, let's say you have a company of 50 people, three being remote probably isn't going to work. Um, they are going to feel, no matter what you do, they are going to feel separate and different because 47 are local and three are far away. Like that doesn't really work very well. So you need to find a balance. Our company, uh, we have about 50 people in the company, about 14 of them work in Chicago and the rest work across 30 different cities around the world. So we're primarily remote. And even the people in Chicago rarely come into the office. And any one day you might find three or four or five people at the office and they, you know, some people come in two days a week, three. So, the first step, I think, is coming up with a, a balanced approach to this. Otherwise, there's very little you can do to make three out of 47 feel like they're the other 47. It's just a hard thing to do. So that's the first thing. The other thing, though, is, is then um, basically, so let's assume you've achieved balance or, or you're a new company and you're starting out and you've got three, maybe three locally and three remote or something like that, then you're in a good spot. The culture you build should be basically primarily it should work extremely well for the remote people and then the local people should be able to work well. They should act as if they're remote. So for example, um, every day in Basecamp, our, our Basecamp account automatically asks people what they worked on every day and people write it up automatically and it's published back to Basecamp for everybody else in the company to see. So we don't have stand-up meetings locally where people talk about what they're doing or what they did. Um, even if they're physically in the same space, we don't do it that way. Everyone works the same way, which is people write things up and they're published into Basecamp for other people to follow along no matter where they are in the world. So everyone responds and reports on what they're working on the same way. Everybody pitches ideas the same way. So we don't get into a room if you're local and pitch an idea to somebody else. You write the idea up and you post it to Basecamp just as if you were 4,000 miles away. So you have to kind of all work the same way. You can't have different working cultures. Once you do that, you have splinters in the system and certain people have different advantages than others and that, and that sport starts to fall apart. So everyone should be working the same way regardless of where they are. That's interesting. I never even thought about it. Uh, like in your case, it could be your home office workers that feel that they're in the minority because most of the company are people uh, working from the outside. You know, I never even thought about it flipping around. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing is... Um, it can be that way, and we've, we've intentionally kept it that way because if the majority of people in our company are remote, we have to make sure remote works. If the minority of people are remote, then you can almost be like, well, we don't really need to make, make that work because they're in the minority, and, hey, we can just hire locally and then phase out the remote people. Like That can kind of end up happening if the majority is local. So we flipped it to make sure that we're honest about that. Yeah. And Jason, not to go too deep on this, but it really hit me because a lot of these issues we're hearing about remote work, you know, it's the traditional big Fortune 500 company. Uh, most people are in the office and then they start to do, you know, a, a day uh, or two a week of working from home or they let certain people, you know, work from home and not saying it can't be done, but you just explained how difficult it can be if the dominant culture, the primary culture is still you know, hey, everybody, let's all pile into the conference room because I've got an idea I want to run by you. And then someone's got to remember, oh, yeah, you know, we got to get Jason Skyped into this thing. So that's a big part of the problem. Right. I mean, have you been in those situations where, where you, there's like seven people in a room and then one person on Skype? Like, 
that one person is, is at a huge disadvantage. And then if you play that out across the whole company and you think about there's that one other person somewhere far away or those three other people far away, it's just not going to work. Just like that simple conference call isn't going to work as well. Or, I mean, it's going to work for the six people in the room, but that seventh person is going to feel marginalized no matter what you do. Um, so you got to really prevent it, prevent that from happening. So, so let's flip it around as sort of the last question on remote work. So let's say I've convinced my boss to let me try, you know, working from home or our entire department gets to work from home, you know, a couple days a week. You know, how can we as the individual contributors, the remote workers, make sure it's going to work for our boss, for our companies? Well, I think it kind of depends. Um, my suggestion would be you should get a team together versus an individual. So rather than saying, like, go to your boss and say, hey, can I work from home? You should probably try and uh, recruit, let's call it recruit a few other people together and say, like, can can we work remotely as a team? Can we show you what we can do as a team? Because I think the thing is, is if, again, you're just asking your boss if you can work remotely, you're, you're creating a minority for yourself immediately. You're saying, like, me against the world, essentially. But if you have a small team, I think you have a little bit more, I mean, it still might be too small compared to the whole company, but... Let's say you're working on a team of, of six or something and you're saying, can three of us work remotely or whatever? Or can, can, we, can we spend the next two weeks sort of working at home every other day? You know, can we all do that? I think you're just going to have a better shot at proving something or showing your boss that it can work. Because if everything's individualized where it's just this one person gets a chance to work at home, you're just at a disadvantage. And if you're trying to prove something, I think you want to put yourself in the best possible position to prove something. And if three people out of six can do it, then you're like, okay, there's something here. It's not just this one person's extraordinary or this one person's really disciplined or this one person has the best work ethic out of everybody. But it's actually a few people are able to do this. And, and I just think you have, you have more, more weight there, more chance to, um, to make something happen. So. That's what I would suggest. But the other thing I would suggest is I would sort of split it. I wouldn't say, like, we're going to go off and work remotely for two weeks. I'd say, like, give us two days a week at home or two days a week out of the office or something like that. Just kind of ease into it. I think anytime you can ease into anything, you're just in a better position to make it work. Otherwise, if it's too extreme, it's very easy for that not to work. And then it's very easy to point your boss to point at that and go, hey, that didn't work. And next time you want to do it again, you can point back to that and go, that didn't work. Or she can point back to that and go, that didn't work. So um, set yourself up for a good situation, ease into it, give yourself a little bit of chance, prove that it's working. Once you prove that it's working, you have some leverage, which then you can apply, and maybe you can start doing it a little bit more. Maybe it's not two days a week, maybe it's three, or maybe it's four now, that sort of thing. And just kind of keep prying slowly, applying the leverage that you're gaining. And at some point, assuming it works for you, um, you know, people are interested in results, and your boss is going to be interested in results. So she's going to go, hey, this is working. Yeah, of course you can do more of this. Who's going to say you can't do more of it if it's working? So I think that's what you have to do. Love it. So before we wrap up, Jason, I always challenge our listeners to become 1% better every single day. Is there something you can challenge our listeners to try out, you know, right now, today? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know how much, you know, this takes a little bit of power to, to be able to do. But let's, let's, say, let's say that you have some small business owners listening. Cancel your next meeting. So um, I think people meet far too often in person, and a lot of things that, that uh, happen in person are actually better just to write up and distribute so people can read those things on their own time versus pulling everyone off their work altogether to do something that had nothing to do with right now. And I think that once you get in the habit of 
canceling meetings or not having meetings and instead of writing things up and distributing things asynchronously, essentially. I mean, you, it doesn't matter what tool you use. Some tools are better than, at this than others. But um, you'll find that people claim an hour back a day at least, and um, you do that every day. That's five extra hours of work a week. That's almost like a whole extra day just by cutting out a few meetings. So I'd, I'd highly recommend trying to do that. I know it's hard if, like, you don't have the power to do that. But if you do, the gains you're going to see there are huge. Love that advice. Meetings are huge productivity killers. That's for sure. Yes. All right, friends, you've just been mentored by the legendary Jason Freed. Jason, where can people find out more about your work and what you're up to these days? Well, legendary is certainly overshooting it, but thank you for that. Um, <laughs> so you can follow me on Twitter. It's Jason Freed, and that's spelled F-R-I-E-D, like fried. So Jason Freed um, on Twitter is, is a great place to kind of keep up on what I'm doing. And then if you uh, if you follow us on our blog, Signal versus Noise, um, we're now hosted on Medium. So I think if you search Signal versus Noise Medium, um, you'll find our blog where we write really in-depth articles, stuff that challenges the, the status quo and the norm and the industry as a whole. We're pretty contrarian, so that's another good place to catch us. And then Basecamp.com, of course, is our, our product and what we use to run our business every day. And the way we're able to run is because Basecamp exists. So if you want to check something out, if you're working a lot using email or texting or chatting or meetings and you're finding yourself like everything's slipping through the cracks and work's getting more and more chaotic, give Basecamp a try. Love it. Listeners, don't forget, you can get all of the links Jason just mentioned and the notes from this interview over at leadx.org. You can get remote, office not required, from amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. And if you've ever gotten just one new idea from the LeadX show, please, please, please hop on over to iTunes or Stitcher, hit subscribe, and just leave a short, honest review. Until next time, remember, leadership is not about a title or power or authority. Leadership is about influence. We're all leaders. The question is, who are you going to lead today?